have opened their skate parks. These parks receive more than 6 million annual visits by youth who benefit from the active lifestyle and camaraderie the facilities promote. Learn more about the Skate Park Project by visiting www.skatepark.org. Now live at 6 o'clock, KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quack Smack. I like talking talking sports. Quack Smack! What? Quack Smack. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Quack Quack! Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of Quack Smack. Now let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. It's a Tuesday night edition of Quack Smack here on 88.1. I am all of a sudden not remembering if this is my usual show. I think this is my usual show. I know I did Wednesday's last term, and I know there was some confusion early in the week about who was hosting. Uh, but but welcome inside the KWVA studios. Austin Oda, Liam Baker, Leo Schulhoff, Saulo Gavon, Jason Hardrick over in, uh, in in Prod. Jason going to pass his steps. I'm manifesting it. Uh, Duck TV legend over there. So so we're, we're praying. Uh, we're going to talk some basketball. We're going to talk some men's and women's. We're going to talk some baseball. We'll have Jared Mack on as, as he usually is on, on my shows. Uh, yeah, we'll have a good time. How are, how are we doing? How's week five treating us? Great. Weather's Great. like actually It's so nice right now. Nice. Well, kind of. It's better. I don't I mind the cold as long as it's sunny yes, out. But the sunny weekend was very much appreciated. Yeah. I and it's springtime according to the the groundhog. So. Uh-huh. It's early spring this year. I had a uh, I had a legendary die weekend. I'm not sure how if you guys are big die die players. I I, I dabble. I I also dabble. Um I had a legendary die weekend. I had four sinks in three games. Wow. So. That's I, I felt like I should share. Uh, yeah, Leo, is this your first Quack Smack? This is my debut. How are you feeling? A little nervous, but I'm very excited to be here. It would be so nice if you could move the mic just like a smidge closer to your mouth. You can move it. Don't All be right. afraid. Okay. You're doing great. Is this better? Oh, look, look at that. That's so much better. Um, should we just like hop right into it? Let's get to it. Uh, Oregon men's basketball, tough loss against UCLA the other day. They were down huge to start. I believe at one point it was up to 17, or they come back and, and end up tying it at one point, uh, end up falling by, by a pretty large margin to what it felt like um, they were they were getting to at one point. You know, there was that big comeback at the end of the first half. Bam Tracy hit a bunch of threes. Um, just uh, overall, pretty basic, pretty generic. Thoughts on the weekend. Win against U- U- USC, loss against UCLA. I mean, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen for the most part. I think U- USC is a team that is going in the like worst possible direction right now. I really think they're not going to beat many teams the rest of the season in the Pac-12. Just kind of just given their, their injuries with with Collier out and that, but UCLA I think is playing the best in the Pac-12 out of uh, really you could argue out of anyone. So I don't think that's that's a game that's like it sucks to lose, but I I think in a month it's not going to look like as bad of a loss, given that was it was close in in Los Angeles. But it's definitely a game that you want to win when you're on the bubble, especially when they had chances to. Um, yeah, I think 
no one expected USC to be as rough as they are right now going into the year. Everyone had high expectations, and they kind of have collapsed. And granted, they have injuries, and players haven't panned out how they wanted to. And Oregon still got a good win in that game. I think UCLA was a very tough competition. Also, they had the weird delay going into the game where the Ducks didn't get much time to warm up. And even with that slow start, they still found a way to come back at the end of the first half. Um, but yeah, it was just could not get the job done at the end of the game. Yeah, I think going back to your point, Liam, it's, it's really important to notice how good UCLA has been recently because we all know they ha- they haven't really had their year, but they're still so talented. Like, Lazar Stefanovic is, is one of the better players in the Pac-12, and I don't think people really know it because of th- the numbers don't show it, but uh, he's... To me, when I watch him, reminds me a little bit of Jaime Hawkes, like a like a Jaime Hawkes light. Um, I know that's huge comparisons because Jaime is is awesome right now, but the UCLA jersey, the long hair, and, and kind of the play style all, all go together. Um, and he wasn't even great against Oregon, but he had eight rebounds, three assists. That's a, 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 a the second facilitator on that team. Um, Adembon has been been awesome this year. Uh, just like a monster on the boards, and I think that that ended up hurting Oregon when you're going only eight scholarship players deep when you're without Nate Biddle, um, and you're running a lot of, of Bam Tracy at the four and, and Kwame Evans Jr. at the four, uh, playing guys a little out of position. But all that to say, like I, I am not as worried about this weekend as it feels like a lot of people are. Like I, I, I agree with you completely, Liam. I think that you the the, the UCLA loss is is going to look a lot better in about a month. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I I think the USC win is is kind of just a a win. Like it's 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 kind of a meh and I feel like uh, we're not going to talk about this today, but I think if they beat Washington on Thursday, that's kind of going to be in the same like it's a game they should have won. It's a game they should probably win by by double digits at home against Washington. Um and then the Washington State game, that's a team that's that's really on the rise right now. Well, and honestly, I think the the, the next 6 games they play are all games they should win. Yeah. Like realistically, you're home for for more than half of those and you're playing, you know, you're playing Cal and Stanford on the road who aren't great and Stanford's playing better and you're going to Corvallis, who's it's like it's a it's a team you should beat. So it's it's like this next stretch is really going to prove if they're actually a team that can make the tournament or not. Yeah, I think, and I didn't put this on the outline. I think Oregon should go. How many games do they have left? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine games left. I think they should go eight and one. Like I think their only loss should be to Arizona, mm-hmm. um, in Tucson. Obviously, that's still a winnable game. We've seen Arizona have flaws this year, but then. Colorado and Utah are both really good teams, but I think to close the year, like those are games you need to win, especially at home. Um, but but for the most part, I agree. Like I think, I think Oregon's weekend was fine. I don't I don't think I, I think people are blowing it out of proportion a little bit. Yeah. Um, and also we have to remember the the weird travel to UCLA, mm-hmm. where they showed up. What was it like an hour before tip? 30, um, 30, I guess it was, it was 30 minutes before, thir- the, sketch, before the, the original tip, tip. Right. Um, I mean, those are all things that factor in. So, And clearly we saw that at the start of the game. Right. They got off to a horrible start where they had a stretch of five minutes where they couldn't score. And it took them a while to come back and kind of going back with the schedule. I think people look at that UCLA loss a little differently just because every game is must win um, in terms of trying to make the tournament. That was a great game. That would make a better case for Oregon because we haven't beaten that many great teams. 
especially with this upcoming schedule. Arizona is our last really good team that can solidify our record being like, wow, we've beaten a good team. And I did read um, Lazar Stefanovic's line wrong when I was reading it earlier. I was reading the, the box score for the first game. I know that isn't super important. I was going to say, like, looking at it, I Dylan Andrews was awesome. I think he's he's really good, and he dropped 21-7 and seven against Oregon. Um, either way, point stands. I don't think it's as bad as of a loss as people I think are making out it out to be. Um, but generally, what I do think is a little worrisome is the, the only eight scholarship players. Nate Biddle was sick the other day. Um, he was sick last weekend, which is why he didn't play. But And you can really even almost call it seven because Mo Diawara played four minutes against UCLA. And Folly Dante, Jadrian Tracy, Jackson Shellstad, Jermaine Kuznard all played over 30 minutes. Uh, Brennan Rigsby, Kerry Oquendo, both over 20. Kwame Evans, who really has kind of cooled down after a really good start, um, only 11 minutes. Like, is Oregon going to be able to survive with, with just an eight-player rotation for the rest of the year? I think absolutely they can. It's I, I feel like, especially towards the end of the season, when you get into the Pac-12 tournament and then in whatever after that for Oregon, you're only going to be playing eight guys, really. Like you might, it'd be nice to have that ninth or that ten guy you can really trust. But rotations shrink towards the end of the season, and as long as these guys stay healthy, which is honestly who knows at this point if they can. But if if Dante and Bill are both back, they have the guards and the options at at the at the guard position to to rotate some guys and get some guys in there. But I think the key is just Dante and Biddle actually staying healthy and be able to play and share the court together. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. Like when you look back at this whole season, we've had to battle adversity when it comes to injuries from the jump. Like we have not really had a set lineup throughout the year. We missed uh, Dante was out for a while and we were still able to find ways to win. And I think we can do the same with this lineup. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Dana maximizes his lineups and kind of seeing who catches the hot hand because I feel like it kind of varies game to game. And yeah, I think Kwame Evans is a guy that deserves more minutes. I know he has slowed down recently, but he provides a lot of energy off the bench, especially in the first half of that Arizona game. I thought he did a really good job. And I think as he provides more energy and get if he can raise his minutes to kind of even out the stretch, I think Oregon has a great chance of maximizing their eight guys. And Kwame Evans Jr. is the team's best defender. Like I don't mm-hmm. I don't really think it's close. Just both in the in the pure numbers and the actual like like the eye test. He's the team's best defender. Um you know, him and Biddle in a lineup together, and, and Dante for that matter, I don't think the three of them are going to share the court often, but I think those two together specifically give Oregon their best chance of defending in, in the paint. Uh, Dante's a good shot blocker, but he struggles to, to kind of stick with the smaller guards once they get into the paint. Um, I think they need Nate Biddle to come back, like, and, and that's not like a hot take by any means, but Nate Biddle's impact is so important to this team because of what he can do of course, on the offensive end, I mean, he's he's shooting 49% from the field this year. When, when he's played uh, more minutes, he's averaging more points, as, as you tend to do. Um, they need both of these guys, and I think that's that's almost the only way they can weather the storm because a, a roster where you're really going seven guys deep, especially when you have to play small and play Kwame Evans at the five, I think is is really hard to manage. Um, but overall, I've been I've been pretty impressed by, by what the Ducks have done. I still think... At their peak, the Ducks are our top 25 team. Um, which brings me to my next question. Can Oregon still make the tournament at this point in the year with an at-large bid? Because you look at their overall, 15-7 and seven looks great. 7-4 and four in conference looks great. They're a top three seed in the Pac-12. Like It's still a really, really good team. 
but I do think that there is a a little bit of a national perception against the Pac-12 right now, especially on the men's side. Um, is Oregon good enough to make it without winning the conference tournament? I, absolutely. You look at the beginning of Pac-12 play when they started 5-0, and and you, you're looking at the bracketology each week. They were slowly moving their way up there and were had a spot in the field for a while, and they've lost, what is it, four of six now? I think yeah. I think that's right. You're, you're going to fall out, especially when you're just not a team – that is known for being a, a team that at least recently has always that always makes the tournament. But I mean, these next six games and the next the really the, the rest of the nine games and to, go, to finish the season are all most part winnable games. And I, I think for these these next six, which I was looking at to end the the month, they go fi- five and one and si- or six and zero. Oh, I think I mean five and one's the f- what they, they that's the worst that can happen. I think you go into that Arizona game, you lose that game, it's close, that's fine. You beat Colorado and Utah at home. You finish the Pac-12 with two or with I guess six losses. That's a, it's a pretty good record. You're probably going to be the two seed in the Pac-12 tournament. You get a bye. They make you know when we have to win one or two games. I think then in the Pac-12 tournament they should be in the tournament in in the in the 68 team field. But I, I think they just have to prove that they can actually win those games. Yeah, I agree. It by no means is going to be easy. Um, especially because they are so shorthanded, but it is very much possible. And I think even if – I think they just have to win their winnable games, and it hasn't always been the case for Oregon basketball when it comes to saying that. Um, but I think if they can even put up a fight against Arizona in Arizona because they are such a good home team, if we can show the world that we're at least competitive in their arena, that p- bodes a great case for Oregon. I think – like. Looking at the games the rest of the year, there are some some worrisome spots. Like, I worry about Washington State a lot this weekend. Yeah. They're a team that's really hot. Miles Rice has been awesome. Isaac Jones is really good. Um, and they're deep, too, which I think is, is the big thing. Um, you know, showing a little home bias. But I do worry about Stanford a little bit. Like, I, I've seen Stanford pull off upsets against Arizona this year and uh, have some really good wins. And, obviously, they, they also have some, some really horrible losses. Um, and then, like... The last ever Oregon State-Oregon game in Pac-12 play, that's going to mean something. There's a reason that's a nationally televised game. And then the Colorado and Utah series. like Those are two really good teams that have tended to have ownage on Oregon. Um, so while I do think they, they should go you know, 8-1 and one the rest of the way, I also wouldn't be surprised to see them be 6-3 and three the rest of the way. And I think a 6-3 and three Oregon team that finishes 21-10 and 10 and 13-7 and seven in conference, like I don't... I don't know if that's a tournament team if they if they don't make it at least to the championship of the uh, the Pac-12 tournament. Well, I say it, at thirteen and seven, they're a top four seed, and honestly, as long as they're not the four, I feel pretty good. It means you don't have to play Arizona until the championship, theoretically. Uh, right. So I, f- I think that's really the big thing. If they can finish at two or three, and if it's at if it's at thirteen and seven, it's not great, and there's probably a loss in there that you're going to wish you you had you know back. Um, but I mean, you have, but with the teams, the the decent Oregon teams in the last five, six years that have gone into the Pac-12 tournament have done really, really well. Yeah, and that's kind of something we're used to seeing out of Eugene and, and Altman. Usually has them ready, and I believe that he's going to have them ready again. It's it's hard to believe he's not going to just given that he's had worse teams than this one that have won the Pac-12 tournament when the Pac-12 has been better too. I I think. And, and gone on to make the tournament make a yeah. run. So I just think they need to get there and not have to play that first day or that is that I guess that Thursday or that's yeah, whatever Wednesday, it is. The Wednesday or the Thursday. They just don't they avoid that day. That's just 
to only win three games is a lot easier than four. I mean, who is the second best team in the Pac-12? Because I think it's Oregon. Like, I, I think it's either Oregon or Colorado. I think it's UCLA. Really? I, th- I think at the end. Are you that high on them right now? I You look at their defensive numbers. Yeah. I, they, uh, just, they play so slow. Like, they're... I know well, this isn't part of it, but they're so boring. Watch. Yeah, and I, uh, I mean, I, I wrote the the preview for the the Ducks this this past weekend, and UCLA's 18th in the country defensively. And yeah, no, it's they give up when they get less than 65, which they did against Oregon. They're they have three losses. Yeah, and granted, they are like 330th offensively. So it's, but that's a a team that's built to to kind of succeed down like in in March and and in those games, and you can really trust your defense and they've shown the ability to score the ball at, at times and it's not an everyday thing but they just they get hot on offense their defense is good enough to allow them to make a run and honestly if th- i think they could win the pac-12 and i don't know if they're at the the second best team yet, but i think it's a, there's a one and then there's a two to four yeah two to it's five. kind of a, a yeah. clump it's like what oregon colorado washington, washington state, state ucla yeah. they're kind of clumped in that b tier where yeah. Though Arizona's clearly th- that one, but as you said, this year Pac-12 has not gotten the respect um, it I think deserves um, in terms of the play. And I think Washington State is that scary team for me. That Agreed. Second, like as much as Oregon is that top team, I know we went into Wazoo, we went into Wazoo and beat them. And I think when they come here, they're gonna be looking for revenge, and that is a scary game. But as you said earlier about Nate Biddle. And how we need him to have that offensive impact. I think he's been in and out of the lineup all year. He's never been once. He hasn't been able to catch that rhythm. And I think if he can do that towards the end of the year where he plays a solid stretch of games, this team could look really scary. Yeah, I think there's that that, that big clump of like six teams, six or seven teams that I could all say are in the two to four range. Like Arizona is by far the best team in this conference. It's not I don't close. think they're by far the best team. Really? No. I I think they are the best team. I don't think it's a, a, the giant gap given the loss, some of the losses they have and some of the performances they've had. And granted, they've came back in a few of those games, but like that loss to Stanford was really, really bad. That loss to Oregon State was really, really bad. Like I do not think they're by far the best team. They are, <coughs> they are the best team. I don't think that gap is as large as you think it is, though. Sure. I, I don't hate that take. I think... And then after that, it's like I. I still think Oregon's second. I best think team. someone has to prove that they're they're actually the second best team. Yeah, and that, think, that's a good point. I think There's the Pac-12 will the get three or four teams in the in the tournament potentially, but the the, the those teams need to prove that they are because it's the time's taken and you don't have a lot of games left to actually make your case to make the tournament. By the same token, I would not be surprised if the Pac-12 was like a two-tournament, two-bid conference. Like, I would not be surprised if it's Arizona and Wazoo, or Arizona and Oregon, because I don't see Colorado or Utah doing enough from here on out. It's not going to be Stanford, maybe UCLA, if they get hot again. And I think there's a a team, I think a team in the Pac-12 plays itself into the the tournament during the Pac-12 tournament. Sure. I feel like it's something that usually happens, it seems like every year that there's a Pac-12 team that makes a run and gets hot at the right time. Especially that because the conference isn't as good as it's been in the past, like you have that ability to, to make a run and, and get in there. I'm kind of going beyond the Pac-12 in general, though. It's been such a weird year with all these top teams losing that because the records are a lot more evened out, that might make it harder for the 
for more Pac-12 teams to make it into the tournament where, like you said, it could be a two Pac-12 team tournament this year just because it's so competitive all around and there's so many losses everywhere that it kind of evens out. And if we already don't have that respect, then, yeah. It's going to be a difficult road for Oregon for the rest of the year. We'll see what they can do. Uh, they play Washington on Thursday. Wazoo is on Saturday. It's going to do it for us for our first segment on Quacksmack. When we come back, we'll have Jared Mack from Duck Territory to talk some Oregon baseball on 88.1. KWVA. I checked my voter registration online and I am ready to vote. I feel amazing. Hey, you! Did you know the Republican and Democratic parties have closed primaries? That means you need to register with one of them to vote in their primary election. Or you can register with a minor party or not be affiliated with any party at all. You get to choose. That's why your ballot may have different candidates than mine. Oh, wow. I'm going to hike around Crater Lake and treat myself to clam chowder at the coast. Don't know how to check if you registered? Just visit OregonVotes.gov and be sure to check at least 21 days before the May election to make any updates. I feel incredible. Who wants to frolic in some tulips? This message is brought to you by the Oregon Elections Division. For more information, go to OregonVotes.gov. In the streets below, traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. This is former assistant sports director Adam Sussman. If your dial reads 88.1, you're in the right place. Let's get back to Quacksmack. Back on 88.1, we just talked some Oregon men's basketball, and now we have uh, the, the weekly legend... The, the one and only Jared Mack. Jared, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, how we doing, gentlemen? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Uh, I got no complaints, you know. It's a nice little Tuesday night. I get to talk about some baseball. You do get to talk about some baseball. Um, let's start this by asking where you want to start, because I feel like I usually ask that at the end, like just like what specific notes. Is there, if you could tell me about one player, or one part of this team that you think is going to surprise baseball fans this year, what would that be? Uh, that's a good question. Um, man, There's a, I got two. I'll give you one offense and then one pitching. Um, I really think that uh, Justin Casella, Oregon's, I would project him to be the starting left fielder. Uh, transfer from Elon, he hit 315, 318, something like that last year with 17 bombs. Um, I think that his Swing will translate to this power five level. Um, I think that his overall plate approach will translate. I think he's a solid left fielder. He played a lot of center field at Elon. Uh, and Oregon's going to need somebody to replace a lot of outfield production. And, uh, you know, he'll directly replace Tanner Smith in left field, at least what, what I'm thinking. Um, and I think that he's going to be a name just because he's going to be able to show himself for the Ducks, who I think are going to be pretty good this year. So 
Uh, obviously, they have like one nationally televised game in, in April, at the end of April against Oregon State. Um, and I think that he's just going to be able to make a name for himself. And the other one is Kevin Sider, transfer from Quinnipiac. Uh, Got to get the New England references in here. But uh, he finished last year in the MEAC on a, on a tear. Uh, I watched him throw uh, with you, Austin. We watched him throw, uh, was that like last week or a week and a half ago? Correct. I was there. And you were there. And I just kind of like what he brings. Um, like I said, last year he was really good at Quinnipiac towards the end of the season. Kind of sits in the mid-90s with his fastball. Uh, has like command with his breaking stuff, has confidence in it. Um, I think that he's going to be one of the main uh, rotation members. So I think that he's going to get every opportunity to, to go in there and try to prove himself at the Pac-12 level. And I want to start with the pitching because I think for me, both watching practices and just in seeing Isaac Aon uh, and RJ Gordon return, that's that's kind of the thing I'm most excited about. Um, tell me what you've seen from the pitching staff, some, some names that might surprise us, uh, anything you've seen from, from Gordon or Aon or, or really any of the guys that you figure to be kind of a big part of the, the pitching staff this year. Yeah, I think there's going to be a bunch of names. Um, I, obviously, you, you talked about Aon and Gordon. Uh, you're both coming off of injuries. Gordon uh, you know, projects to be maybe a guy in the rotation and, or somebody who's a long reliever. Uh, Aon, you know, I haven't got to see them both, but uh, you know, there's been good things about them. Um, but in, in terms of guys that are, uh, I guess, kind of new names, is that kind of what you're asking for? Yeah. Yeah, I already went through Cider. I think he's going to be a guy who's at the top of the rotation, maybe a Friday, but definitely either a Saturday or Sunday guy. Um, guys like Grayson Grinsell are still around. He's going to be a really uh, important part of their bullpen um, or the starter role. Uh, Brock Moore could be a guy who is the closer. Um, he's going to be... He's a giant kid. He's like six foot six, six foot five. He's built, uh, built like a linebacker, but like a tight end. Uh, he can run it up there in the in the upper nineties. I think the one time I saw him, he was up at like ninety five, ninety six, and that was back in October, probably. So uh, with the full off season of you know maintaining his arm health, he should be up there in the near the triple digits at points this year. I'm sure once it gets starts to get warmer. Um, Jackson Jordan is another guy who I saw who I thought was actually pretty good. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but friend, friend is Michael. Uh, Michael Friend. Uh, we watched him, uh, you and I, Austin. Um, he's he's good. He he was a junior college transfer, performed well at the starting rotation spot at the JC uh, for two years, two or three years. Um, but he looked really good on the mound. He uh, struck out a lot of guys looking, used a lot of backdoor sweeping breaking balls. Um, got up there in the low 90s. So I think there's honestly, you know, I don't have the roster in front of me. I actually think it's still with you. It is uh, in my backpack. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. But I think there's going to be a lot of new names. Like, obviously, there's the returners, the freshmen from last year, like Turner School Jerry. Wait, 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 wait. don't talk about the freshmen. I want to, that's my next question. I'm not going to talk about them. I'm okay. just listening. Though. Okay, cool. But just uh, sure. there's, there's a lot of returners, but you know, Oregon went out to the portal and added a lot of depth there. They also bring in a lot of uh, new pitchers, you know, true freshmen. A guy like Cole Stokes, who was a top 150 draft prospect, who still signed with the Ducks. Um, you know, I haven't seen him pitch, but I've heard good things. Probably up to the mid upper 90s. Um, he, but he's a true freshman, so we'll see how often he pitches. But I think there's just going to be a lot of new names in general, and there, there was a lot of a lot of uh, transitions from last season. A lot of guys either you know, hit, hit the portal or, or, or went professional or just graduated. Um, so I think there's going to be some new names, but uh, those are just a couple guys. I, I want to talk about the freshman from last year. I know, surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think there's three really big ones on on the offensive side that I want to start with. Um, and, I, and the first one is Drew Smith. Obviously, he was awesome last year in his limited playtime. Dom Hellman mm-hmm. is someone who, when we both saw him swing, we both kind of kind of glanced at each other and were like, oh, this is a different Dom Hellman. And Carter Grotti. And I think uh, all three of those guys have been have been kind of penciled into a spot uh, in the starting lineup this year or, or to get more at-bats than they did last year. Um, what are your thoughts on the three of them? What do you think their their offensive profiles are going to be like this year? You know, there's there's some question mark behind it because albeit like in very small sample size, both Drew Smith and Carter Grady performed well. You know, Dom went down with an injury and was out for probably like 70, 80% of the year last year. But uh, I think that it could be really good. You know, I really like Drew Smith and his plate approach. He takes the ball the other way. That's something you can't really teach a freshman, um, but he did it a lot last year. Uh, he also has a lot of power in his bat, so another year of like off-season work and playing in the summer and working with uh, Oregon strength coach Daryl Hunter is certainly going to help him. And then same with Carter Grady. You know, I thought he, last year he was potentially like the best infielder on the team, um, but he just wasn't ready for the college pitching. Uh, he had limited samples, but he still he still performed well. I think he had a three hit day against Utah last year, if my memory serves me correct. And you know, I think that he could be a bat. And then obviously, it all kind of Oregon's offensive production could look very similar in terms of extra base hits and home runs if Dominic Hellman can hit at the collegiate level. Uh, we saw him hit one home run last year. We saw him have like a two knock day against Oregon State. Um, his potential is is huge. I mean, he has exit velocities that are you know in the 112 115 miles an hour six foot six he looks physically a lot better he's kind of slimmed down he's still a hulking figure but he's not it doesn't look like he has any bad weight on him he looks like he could go run you know routes at at tight end for oregon's offense next season but he just needs to adapt to uh college pitching and we'll find out eventually but you know, I would have him slated in as an everyday DH. If, if he can prove that he can hit college pitching, you cannot get his bat out of the lineup just because of the pure power that he has. Like, he can he can miss hit a baseball and it can go over 400 feet. He can miss hit a ball that can go farther than if somebody, like, you know, perfect, perfect barrels it. Um, so there's a lot of question marks there with those three freshmen or returning guys, now sophomores, but there's still just a lot of talent left in that tank. And if Oregon can get... Um, if they can get good seasons out of all of them, I really like where they're going to be this year. And on the pitching side for the freshmen last year, um, Turner Spoljerick's a guy that had some really good moments down the stretch. Matthew Grabman, uh, a guy that I think is is one of the more talented pitchers on the roster with his uh, deadly, deadly fastball. Um, Jackson Pace had some big moments. Uh, I got to shout out my guy, Dylan McShane. But the big one, like you mentioned a little bit, uh, Grayson Grinsell, um, these were all guys that pitched big innings for the Ducks last year as freshmen. And yes, they're bringing back a guy like Logan Mercado who led the team in innings last year. And yes, they're bringing back Isaac Aon and RJ Gordon. But I do think that these, the, the guys that were freshmen last year are still going to have some, some really big roles on this team this year. What, what do you kind of picture that to be? I think the, the roles, like the big roles are there, but like I was saying, there's going to be a lot of new depth. There's going to be a lot of new talent in the pitching department. And um, you know, we'll see by the end of the year, maybe the statement will be true, but I really think that this could be like the best pitching staff that Wazikowski has ever had, except for like 2000 and, uh, 2021, where it was still Alstrom and Colin Kafka and guys like that. 
just because of the pure depth, the pure talent that they have. And for the returning freshmen, you know, guys like Turnishville, Jarek, and Grabman, and Pace, uh, and even Grinsel to a point, were all kind of thrown in there because of the injuries, because of the seasoning injuries to, Pitt, or to Stoffel, to, uh, to RJ, to Aon. Um, you know, they all had opportunities because that was it. Like, they, they couldn't not pitch. And this year they're good. They're going to have to fight for spots. And I still like Grabman. I still like Spiljeric. I still like Pace. I still like all the guys you mentioned. But – um, as of like as of now, I would put from what I've just, just what I've what I've seen and what I've heard. It's, it's Spiljeric has been doing his job, and so has Grayson, and then Grabman as well. But there needs to be some, you know, some next level steps that are taken between, you know, like the first month, month and a half of the season for those big roles to be carved out for the other guys. But I still think that all of them will be included this year, either in the starting rotation or the bullpen. Uh, it's just going to be it's just going to be a really competitive. You know, like pitching staff, which is great. You want that iron sharpens iron mentality, and, and Oregon is certainly trying to do that in the bullpen and the staff. One guy specifically I want to talk about in the bullpen, Austin Anderson mm-hmm. had an awesome year last year uh, in a lot of regards. The strikeout per nine number is insane, uh, 12.8. Um, the home runs per nine number is triple zeros. The hits per nine is 3.2. The ERA is 0.6, and the walks per nine uh, is almost nine. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the big the big ticker about him is is the walks. Um, literally everything else is perfect. Like he it, it, he's he's unbelievable. He was named second team All American today. Uh, what do you project for for him this year? Because he's a guy that that uh, the Ducks kind of need at the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, like you said, if he can get his walks down, uh, like theoretically, he can be even better, um, which is really saying something because he was nasty last year. Um, He just had an unhittable slider. It felt like when he was on, there was a legitimate chance that it could just be like a nine or a 10 pitch, three strikeout inning. Um, Basically, anytime that he was on, Uh, if he could command the zone or get people to swing at his off speed, like low and away. Um, people weren't touching it. And there was a reason that he was named the, like the second team all-conference player um, but today, I think it was by the college baseball writers, uh, because he's, he's really good. Uh, he had some injuries to deal with in the offseason, but I've heard that he's doing well. Um, I'm sure that Oregon is going to take it slow at the start of the season, just like they should because of how early the year starts. But you know, he's going to be a critical guy back there. Um, you know, Oregon loses a lot in terms of their total, like their back end with Malaris going uh, to the draft to the Blue Jays. So they're going to need a guy to be the closer. And maybe it's Anderson. Maybe it's Moore, who I talked about earlier. Maybe it's Toby Twist, a guy who I didn't mention, but now pops in my head, a lefty, a true freshman who I've seen a couple times perform really well. Um, there's going to be some spots back there, you know, just like I was talking about with the true freshman. Um, but Anderson is certainly going to be a main factor in that bullpen. And I'm just kind of interested to see, you know, where he's going to slot up as. Is it going to be the setup guy? Is it just going to be like one of your really solid middle relievers? Or, you know, could he even be a closer? Because, you know, those stats that you went through are closer type stats. There's, you know, that's a legitimate arm who's going to strike out a lot of guys who's going to get you out of some jams. And that's what you want in a closer. That was, uh, that was beautiful. I appreciate it. It was really good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Anytime. Um, I, uh, I forgot my next question, but I no, 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 that's completely not true. Just uh, generally anything else you want to add. Um, yeah. Well, I, I'm uh, I'm excited for the season to start. I'm uh, you know I'll be down there in, in Arlington for the opening series. I think it's a 
uh, you know, I had Mark Wazikowski on the pod today, head coach, and you know, he kind of said it was a double-edged sword because there's going to be a lot more people watching the games. It's not that, like a not a national game, but because it's on, you know, full full sports baseball or whatever it is. But you know, these hey, are bigger programs. Shout out, hey, shout out, yeah. Uh, they're you know playing Oklahoma and they're playing number 18 Texas Tech. They're t- playing Baylor. Like, you know, they're not beating up on you know, Northwestern state like right. they were last year. Um, so it's a little double-edged sword because, yeah, if they do well, then that certainly makes a little bit of a wave or an impact of how people look at Oregon. But, you know, if they get – if uh, the talent's not there, it's the first games of the year, everybody doesn't play that well. If they get smoked, then it certainly makes them look bad. But I'm still excited that they're going to have the chance to go out there and prove that prove to some of the polls that they should have been ranked. I mean, I get why they weren't ranked, but – uh, it's certainly an opportunity. I'm looking forward to just going down there and watching them and seeing how they play against you know other Power Five level schools. Any other specific series you think Ducks fans should look out for this year? Uh, I mean, any against like Oregon State, UCLA, right. obviously the two big ones. I think Arizona State's going to be good this year. I do too. Uh, shout Washington. out, shout out, Crawdads legend Sean Fitzpatrick. By the way, had to had to had to throw that in there. Yeah, I don't get a chance to talk or Arizona State baseball ever, so I needed that one. Uh, continue. So you, yeah, you do cover Oregon, so that makes sense. Yeah. I don't get a chance to talk about Arizona State baseball either. But uh, you know, Washington was really good last year. They lost a couple kids in the transfer portal that uh, I think could really make an impact. They had another couple guys drafted too, but I, I think they're an up-and-coming program. I really liked what I saw from them last year. USC is the same thing. They actually return um, – I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but they're number one, come back for another year. Uh, he should be like one of the preseason pitcher of the year favorites, that, I think. Is it Aoki? Yeah, it's Aoki. Yeah, Thank he's you. awesome. Kaden Aoki. Yeah, he's he's really good. He was really good last year. Um, so I think this honestly, this is going to suck, but I'm just going to say it. All of the road series are ones that Oregon fans should pay attention to sure. because you know last year they got all of those at home. You know they got they got to play uh, the best talents in the Pac-12, but this year they're they're all on the road, which kind of sucks for me because I won't be going. But uh, you know that's that's going to be the best talent, and the Pac-12 is always you know one of the best baseball conferences in the country. It's them, the SEC, uh, and the Big 12. So it's certainly some some games to watch out for. But honestly, a lot of the road games are are the bigger, the heavy hitters, I should say. Awesome. Well, Jared, if we want to find more of your work, all that jazz, you've been here before. You know what to do. Where do we Where do we find that? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jared underscore Max Seven or X, whatever you want to call it, uh, on Blue Sky. If anybody is listening and has it, you can follow me there. Uh, it's Jared Mac. Pretty easy to remember. And uh, you can find all of my work and uh, the upcoming baseball stuff that I'll be doing the preseason and uh, you know like lineup projections, all that jazz, on uh, DuckTerritory.com for the twenty four seven Sports Network. Awesome. Well, Jared, thank you so much. Well, you know what? Probably see you next week. Yeah. No, that sounds like a good idea. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, Jared. All right. That was Jared Mack from Duck Territory. That's going to do it for our Oregon baseball segment. When we come back, we'll talk some Oregon women's basketball as they head on the road. Yeah. It's going to do it for us for this segment. We'll be back in a couple minutes for the rest of Quacksmack on 88.1. KWVA. Dolly Parton's Imagination Library is dedicated to inspiring a love of reading. 
The organization achieves this by gifting books free of charge to children from birth to age five. The program spans five countries and gifts over one million free books each month to children around the world. If you want your child to receive free books, visit imaginationlibrary.com to check out availability in your area. Imagination Library. Hey, it's Mike Rowe, and I've got gas. Natural gas, that is. It comes to me through a series of pipes buried in the ground. Pipes that all too often get damaged by people who dig before calling 811. This causes real problems for millions of Americans like me who rely on natural gas to heat their homes and cook their food, but it's even worse for the people who hit the gas lines. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to be one of those people. Just call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. What up, son? This is Colin Deaver, former sports director at KWVA 88.1 Eugene. And you're listening to Quacksnap. As the... I was going to say late great, but he's very much not late. As the great Levi Birdfold would say, real vibey. Coming back with uh, with that with that music. Uh, let's talk some Oregon women's basketball. Um, about as good of a, of a loss as you could ask for, I think, against Oregon State. This is a really really good Oregon State team, and I don't think people realize like exactly how good they are. I was more impressed by Oregon State than I was by Colorado, and Colorado's the number three team in the country. Um, I didn't watch the Utah game, but I've heard Utah has, has kind of fallen off recently. Oregon State's really, really good. This was a, to lose by four, to have a chance for the win, um, like, this was about as good of a loss as you could have asked for. I'm going to open the floor. Thoughts on the Oregon State game? It's just another game, and it's not, not I think another game's a bad way of saying it because there haven't been a lot of these games, but a close game that you look back on the season and yeah, the entire season is not gone as expected, but it's one of those games where you really wish you could have won. And I think it's a game they didn't win because they don't really have that closer that they've had in years past that has really helped them close out games. And they they cut that lead to, to one. They tied it a few times in that fourth quarter, but could, they never got the lead. And it's just hard there with a lot of just young players to really have that person you can go to and trust to score the ball when you need a bucket. Yeah, like you said, this was a rivalry game. Or like you said, Oregon State is a really good team. And Oregon played up to their rival, um, which happens in these types of intensity um, style games. And it was cool to see Oregon put up a fight. But I think they just ended up losing to the better team. And they are just in a rough stretch of games right now where they are playing good team after good team after good team. Right, welcome to the Pac-12. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what you're going to get day in and day out. Um, 
the two real key players for me, Reagan Beers was great, uh, 14 and 16 for Oregon State. But the two real big ones that I look at are Tamia Gardner and Lily Hansford. Uh, Gardner is one of the best bench players, maybe the best bench player in the Pac-12. Um, she had 19 and 5 against Oregon. They just kept leaving her open in the mid-range. She kept getting open off screens and beating the zone, and and that ended up really, really hurting them. And then Lily Hansford, I mean, she she shoots 92% of her shots from three. 92% of the shots that she puts up come from beyond the arc. Uh, of course, her first shot of the game was two, but like. That's insane, right? Like that's that's unheard of. Yeah, that is yeah, not normal. She she and she she's a quick trigger lefty. She's really really good. Um, against the point, my main point for this is I think Oregon's a really really good defensive team, and I think that that really showed against against Oregon State, where you hold Reagan Beers to only fourteen, where you hold Talivon Olhoff into just ten, uh, Donovan Hunter, Kelsey Reese, AJ Marat, the three of those, the three starters had a combined six points. So I think Oregon is a really, really good defensive team. And they just don't have the offense like we were talking about to kind of push towards that next level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at their last four games, the 66 to Cal, 58 to Utah, 61 to Colorado, and 64 to, to Oregon State. Those are, are, those are good numbers. Those are, are low totals, but they're not scoring a lot of points. And it's really hard. It's It's – like we were, we were talking earlier in, in the show, we talked about UCLA and how they're really good defensively, and they just they have the experience offensively to, to get them over that hump. And this Oregon team, really good defensively, but doesn't they just can't get over the hump. And I think potentially when they have some of their younger players develop, they can get to that point. But at this point, it's just like there's not a lot of offensive options apart from Filipina Che, who's. N- you you don't really go to your center too often to, when you need a bucket. There's right. very few centers in the in college basketball in general that you can say give them the ball and you know they're gonna get a bucket. I want to talk a little bit about Philly Che because she's been, as we know, has been awesome this year. Um, just like looking at her numbers, they're they're insane. She's averaging a double double. She leads the conference in rebounds per game. Uh, is there a better? big in the Pac-12, and if so, who is it? Well, I have a clarifying question sure, first. please. What is your definition of a big... Are they a forward, or, is, or they they have to have that C next to them? Maybe they have to be a center? I don't know. I go back and forth, because she technically leads all Pac-12 centers in, like, assist percentage, um, which I've brought up on some broadcasts without mentioning, like, the technicality of it. I don't know. Because up to your interpretation. I think she can be there's an argument for being the best center, but if you if you make that to just bigs and include forwards, I I don't think there's a I don't think she's in that conversation really. I, I That's think, fair. Or at least she's not in that that top 5. It's weird though cuz there are bigs that kind of play like or there are forwards that kind of play like centers and just like have the F next to their their name. Like Reagan Beers is a center. That's not a that's not a 4. Alyssa Peely, I think in my she's opinion, a, is she's a five. I, I think. Right, I agree. And Cameron Brink is the same way, um, which is ironic because Kiki Uriyafin is also the, like they play almost like two fives in the lineup. Um, who did you guys have in mind? Like, um, who are the the players that we want to yes. point out specifically? First of all, with Filipina, the fact that she is third in all of NCAA and rebounds is incredible, and just shows why she probably is the best, if not top two. And the one name I have is UCLA's Lauren Betts. Um, the center averaging 15 points, nine rebounds, and two blocks a game. That is just pure dominance, and you definitely have to give a recognition. But again, it's hard to compare because Filipina does very similar things for Oregon. It's just they Oregon also doesn't translate to wins, so it's kind of hard to compare. 
I think that's a, a really good, a good point is if they were winning more, I think her numbers would look a little different. I think she would probably have less rebounds. Yeah. And her numbers would not look as dominant, but I think then she would also be getting more credit for being a better a better player than than that she's given credit for and it's hard when half the Pac-12 seemingly ranked inside the top 10 that you have so many really talented players. I, I just at this point given the caliber of play Oregon has had it's hard to give her that nod as the best like big I think center there's that argument but if you if it's encompassing of the the fours and the fives it's not I, it, it's hard to give her that nod yeah I think that's fair um I I agree Lauren Betts I think is is probably the best center but she also hasn't played since January 22nd um I'm assuming an injury I don't know if there's any other reason why but she's been more dominant on a better team um, and she's averaging nine boards a game, and four of them are on the offensive end, which is just kind of insane. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I think you guys bring up good points. Like, Filipina Shea would not be averaging 15 points a game and did not average 15 points a game, uh, la- or 13, excuse me, last year where she was the fifth option in the starting lineup, the fourth option um, where you had Tahina Pau Pau, you had Indy Rogers, you had Grace Van Sluten and Chance Gray, and then Philly Che. Um, you could have even argued that she was kind of the sixth best scorer on the team behind Taya Hansen off the bench. Like, because they need her to score and they go to her in the post a lot, like, her numbers are obviously going to be better. But I do think she's gotten very much improved as a rebounder. Um, and I think that shows in, in her rebound percentage, if I can find it, um, where she last year was first in the Pac-12 in rebound percentage. This year is fourth. And those players above her are... Drum roll, please, as I pull it up. Um, Cameron Brink, Reagan Beers, Kiki Uriofen, which are three of the players that I named before. Uh, so that's kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, and I think that that's I think a, gr- a good group of three that you could probably say is better than her, and she might be in that four or five slot. But I think you, you talked about last year. Last year she really struggled at times in a, in a variety of ways, and I think – Maybe some of those flaws are masked this year because she has relied more on forced scoring. That her volume has gone up, so the numbers are going to go up, but that might hide a little bit of of the the flaws that she has. Not to take away from her season so far, I think she's playing amazing, but I think it's harder to to find those those flaws when the team as a whole has a lot of areas where they can improve. Yeah, that being said, I think. It's too early because of Oregon's record to say she is the best. But if you look into next year and you see the development, if they can get the right pieces to surround this team, if they get those offensive pieces to make this team more consistent, she can easily, if she keeps what she's doing up, she can easily be the, she could get that title next year. Looking towards the rest of the season for Oregon, really tough weekend ahead. Colorado in Colorado, Utah, in Salt Lake. Um, Oregon has struggled in Salt Lake City. You remember the Utah Tech game earlier this year in the Trailblazer Classic. Uh, it doesn't get easier after that because you have USC and UCLA. And then it does get a little easier after that. Um, three, I think, winnable games after that. Washington uh, is not good. Washington State is good, but they're also without Charlize Ledger-Walker, who is one of the mas- most dominant players in the Pac-12. Um and I think she's kind of the, the key engine for this Oregon team. And then Cal, who really they should have beat last time. So, like, I could see them winning three of their last four games and then 
keeping it close against Stanford because they did that for a good amount of the game when they were at uh, in uh, on the farm. Um, how does this team end the season on a high note? Like, what does that look like? What are some if there's some specific players you want to see do something specific or, or just like winning some games? As, as easy as that sounds, I, I think at this point it's it's all about wins, and I don't think a lot of them are. Uh, they're not going to get a lot of those. I think that UW game is a big one. It's a rivalry rivalry game. You win you win that game. I think that that's a it's a good confident boost booster. It feels good to beat a rival. But I think you mentioned those last four games, two and two. I think that's a you you can take something away from that. I mean they only they're they have two wins in Pac-12 play right now. I think you, you could finish with four, especially towards the end of the season. I think gives you some confidence going into next year. I think. The, the obvious one is you go to the Pac-12 tournament and you win a game because they're going to be the 12 seed or the 11 seed, and they're going to be playing a team that's probably playing for a top two or top three seed in a region in the NCAA tournament. And I think pulling off an upset there would be – I think isn't it would be tough, but it would definitely show that this season wasn't really one that was lost. Um, yeah, Oregon is currently in a stretch where they're playing six of seven ranked teams in a row, um, which is hard for any team, especially yeah. for Oregon in a year like this. But I think if Oregon gets that win in Seattle and beats UW, that is a great moral victory for that team. That can kind of end the season where they kind of have their heads held, held high and kind of have that moral victory. Um, but yeah, I agree. If they can play spoiler in the Pac-12 tournament, that is the ultimate um, way to cap off their season. I don't remember UW ended Oregon's season last year um, in the the WNIT up in Seattle, um, where the Ducks were, I mean, arguably a, mu- a much better team last year, where they had Tina Pow Pow and India Rogers, and you know, there's always some sweet revenge. And I think Grace Van Sluten and, and Philly Che. Uh, want to show that a little I know we have seven minutes left so we can talk about anything let's talk about the Super Bowl yeah Liam <laughs> you're not a Niners fan right you're a Titans fan. I'm from San Francisco I'm I not, know I'm not what's uh is there a story behind that oh uh, yeah I'm there is it's because of Marcus Mariota um Who? just kidding <laughs> uh but uh yeah and I I grew up you know watching him play at Oregon I my dad went to Oregon so I oh, w- w- so you grew up a duck I grew up rooting for Stanford, actually. Okay, same. Like, and then as and when Mariota kind of emerged onto the scene and was really good, the first football game I ever went to was the Pac-12 Championship when they beat Arizona by a lot um, and went to the playoffs. So I think that's kind of when I started. He was a guy that I, I followed throughout his time at Oregon and then going to the NFL. I, you know, I, you know kind of attached myself to him and where he was going to go. And he was like, I'm going to root for the Titans. And certainly was a decision I've made and I think sticking with the hometown team could have been something that a little bit a little bit more fun and more successful but a little it's, bit but are uh, your parents Niners fans my, yeah my dad's a, a Niners fan and I'm, I'm rooting for them this weekend good as uh, you should yeah yeah and you're a Niners fan right? I'm a big Niners fan how did that happen um I lived in San Francisco my first oh I think years. I knew that yeah, yeah yeah so the Niners have been my team my whole life and same with the San Francisco Giants no longer a Warriors fan why um well, I moved to Portland. I did not mess with the Kevin Durant move to the Warriors. Valid. And it just became... Neither did I, to be honest. It I became unfair to... Like, it was fun, but I yes. disagree. For well, me, yeah. it was not fun to root for, and I saw what Damian Lillard was starting to do with Portland, and I was like, yeah, this is a team I can get behind. Look where that got Portland. Well, you know what? That's our GM, not Damian's fault. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm curious. You said it wasn't fun to root for them, 
I feel like when you do have that, that I I'm I'm a Warriors fan. I think it I feel like it, it is fun to root for that that team that just that they win a lot and you, they're successful. I think the regular season was boring, but I feel like the playoffs are fun and having that atmosphere. I'm curious your take on that because I feel like when you do have that really good team, it's like just naturally, fun, especially with like Steph Curry and Clay and they're hitting all those threes. Yeah, I think for me as a fan of basketball as a whole, it just felt so unfair. Like I, we all knew the outcome of the season before it started, and that doesn't make it fun for me. I like, I like the NBA now, where any team can be the champion. To me, that is the most fun as a basketball fan. I, that, that's very, that's very fair. And I think, as a, a Warriors fan, I think those titles that they won with Durant were definitely the least satisfying out of all of them. But I still think, I think it's hard to not enjoy watching them beat every team by a lot every year because of just their scoring options and the the things they did on the court yeah i mean it was some of the best basketball ever played because they had the best players on the court it makes sense but i think also just being in portland during that time there was like i didn't it's not like i had anyone to cherish that with Hmm. so (laughs) unless i wanted to play villain making new friends not the best move at all times and i figured portland was so what you're saying is you gave into peer pressure um no a little bit yeah that's what um, I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a, a blazers playoff game i think my freshman year when they played denver and i i was like i'm gonna wear my curry jersey to that game not a good decision no not a good decision <laughs> they, blazers lost that game and people were not happy with me after that but it was uh, it's a it's a fun place to go watch a game i'll, I'll give you that at the yeah. moda yes yes the when, moda that i go to when moda Austin Oda. <laughs> bars thanks, guys thanks i'll be here all week um did we give our super bowl predictions can we give our super bowl predictions i think the niners win 28 to 24 that's a that's a good a good estimate i'm trying to think i haven't thought about this much because i think like i think it comes down to this is like not like a passing of the torch moment because i don't think andy reed would ever pass the torch to kyle shanahan but i think shanahan out coaches reed this game and kind of cements himself as like a top tier top top tier head coach see i I agree on the result. I disagree on the coaching thing. I don't think you don't Ky- think Andy Reid can be outcoached. No, I don't think Kyle Shanahan has. He just hasn't shown it. Yeah, especially when they played the Chiefs the first time and throughout these playoffs, I haven't been impressed by his coaching decisions. And the Falcons, I that too. I just think the Niners have a much better roster. And yeah, the Chiefs I, roster is not good. I, I the mean, defense I, is good. Spags is great, but the offense is kind of boring. Yeah, I think. It's it's a, it, the the sh, it's a, the weight's gonna fall on, on Mahomes and Kelsey and for the Niners it's I mean you could pick if they win the, you could honestly pick six guys on the offensive side that could be MVP and there's four or five guys on the defensive side that could make a case too if they yeah. have a big game and that's I feel like where it stems from more. Yes, for me I'm looking at Brock Purdy and I vi- I view him as the Eli Manning to. Um, Tom Brady um, and Patrick Mahomes as the goat in the making spoiler. <coughs> I love it. I that's really a, hope. That's a take. I mean, am I wrong here? That, especially as a game manager, Brock Purdy is the guy to do it. The Niners will win 30 to 27. It'll still be close. I love it. That's going to do it for us on Quacksmack tonight. We had a good show talking some basketball, men's and women's, talking some softball. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow night with kind of an unknown show. So it'll be fun. We'll schedule that in a couple minutes. Uh, Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.